This is where I think I differ from a lot of people because nobody ever told me no. Nobody ever told me I wasn't supposed to be there. Nobody told me I wasn't ever supposed to be in this country. So by not knowing, I think it was not a roadblock for me. Amazing. I went into that warehouse just interviewing myself. Nobody has ever told me I couldn't do it. So I am this naive and I appreciate this about my history that if somebody would have told me, I might have used it as a crutch. Some people just shine. But have you ever noticed that those luminous beings don't shine because of good hair or makeup or excellent lighting? Human beings who truly radiate do so because of what they've survived, what they've overcome, the meaning they've made of their lives in the wake of difficulty and hardship. And my guest is a truly luminous being. My friends, please meet Martha Nino. Martha is a 25-year Silicon Valley technology professional who has worked at large corporations ranging from mobile to hardware to software. And she recently celebrated over 15 years as a senior marketing manager at tech giant Adobe, the Photoshop company. Martha is part of the only 2% of Latinas representing this industry. Her story is powerful for a million reasons, not least of which is that she reminds us that when we believe in ourselves and we align with others who believe in us, anything is possible. I can't wait for you to meet her. And if you want to do yourself a big favor, follow Martha Nino on LinkedIn. Her LinkedIn storytelling is so killer. Let's dive in. I just want to give credit where credit is due, which is Michelle Walsh bringing us together. I mean, Village Well has been a conduit for so many incredible guests I've had on my show. So I just want to give props to Michelle Walsh right there. So Martha, let's just get this party started. So I want to start with your backstory. So first of all, tell everybody what you do now. And then once you tell them that, start at the beginning, honey. Uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the minute you drew your first breath. <laughs> <laughs> we will speak fast because that was a long time ago. So I'm a senior marketing manager at Adobe. So the Photoshop company, which is awesome. And I've been in tech 25 years. I've actually been at Adobe over 16. So I didn't think that was a big deal, to be honest. I was like, it was my job. You know, that's what I do. Until one day, a couple of years ago, I spoke and then it was like, what? How I came to this world, what happened, all my stories. Yeah. The overcoming part yeah. is part of my story. Yeah, it is. I mean, as you know, with all my LinkedIn stories, like I feel like the universe has given me content and I'm meant to get it out there. And I just needed That's one right. opportunity for somebody. Thank you, Adobe. That's right. Getting the ball rolling. So here I am and I can't shut up. I love it. I love it. And I actually like the idea of instead of being like, yeah, you know, I've had some adversity being like the universe has given me content. <laughs> I literally sometimes wake up in the middle of the morning, Bronwyn, that's my time. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God, I need to write about that. Yeah. Oh my God. And things that I thought were embarrassing, things that I thought I'm never going to talk to anybody about, things that I thought were not important. Now I find meaning in them. And it's when I kind of stay still and think about it that I'm like, wow, I'm fascinated by it. Hey, I almost failed English. So this is ironic that I'm even <laughs> doing this. <laughs> 
So you start know, from the beginning, Martha. Where did little baby mini Martha show up in the world? Where were you born and what were those circumstances like? So I was born in the middle of Mexico in a state called Zacatecas. What else? Zacatecas. And I was born in this little village that only had a couple hundred people. That My father was an orphan, actually. He married my mother as a teen. There I came into this world, little redheaded Mexican Martha. Okay. A natural redhead, which was a little awkward. We had no electricity, no water, no nothing, nothing. And my parents, they worked in the fields. And they picked cotton. They did whatever they had to do. And after a few years of that, they're like, okay, we're never going to get anywhere. And then they decided to come to the United States. That's hard when you're not supposed to be here, quote unquote. Of course. So they made the decision to come to California. And my grandfather was here. My grandfather was a janitor at a soap company. He says, why don't you come on over? Mm -hmm. And they're like, how are you going to do that? We have no papers. No documents. Yep. When I told my mom I was going to start talking about it, she's like, you're going to do what? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, people need to hear this, mom. I mean, you've overcame. We're here. Here we are decades later. We've been fine. People need to hear they're going to be fine. And that you've contributed and you're part of the, the you're part of what makes us us. Yes, exactly. So anyways, journey starts to come to this country. Mm. And they're like, we can't take baby Martha. This time I was like a year and a half. Mm. across the border because you mom and dad are going to walk along the border hills of San Diego, the border of Mexico, San Diego, California. And baby Martha might make a lot of noise because she's a baby. Well, she's going to have to come with somebody else and passes her child in a car. And let's hope that you guys reunite. What do you mean hope? Imagine that hope that I'm going to reunite with my mother. So, they had to do it because we have no electricity, no water, nothing. I would have been picking cotton. I would have been doing something else, right? Had they not. Wow. And so they made the decision and hoped that we connect on the other side. And we did. And so we planted roots in Fremont, California, here in the Silicon Valley, when it was not the Silicon Valley. No, it was just a valley. It was just a valley. There was beautiful orchards here. There was apricot orchards and cherry orchards. All before all of these tech companies were here. And that was one of the reasons they came. They're like, well, we have field experience. Go work and whatever. And so they did. But to work here, you need documents. And remember, we are not really wanted here. So we settled into a one-bedroom home in Fremont, one bedroom. And it was just me and them at first. And then more and more and more people start showing up because... Supposedly, we're the ones making it. We're, we're the ones you're the lucky ones. You're the we're ones the who are now, instead of picking cotton, you're now harvesting fruit. Right. Which that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. What do you think your parents were feeling when they were like, well, we're supposedly the ones that made it, but we're still working our asses off. Yeah. Right. What do you think that was like for them? I don't know where they ended up working, but I know they ended up working in the cherry business. You know, the cherries that you put in cocktails? My mom worked in that. And then my dad poured cement, worked in the produce industry, like chopping vegetables for restaurants. And mom would sew clothes. She made me the coolest little outfits. I was very stylish back then. But I think for them, to be honest, just being here and working, even if they had to be silent about their situation... And by this time, they had eight or nine people living in the house, right? We wow. had cousins, whatever. One bedroom. 
Oh, one shit. bedroom. Imagine that. So kids, one bedroom, one family in like the floor of the kitchen, my mom and dad in the pullout couch in the living room. Wow. This was home for me. Wow. Yeah. They were proud. Wow. Remember, they're comparing themselves to not having electricity. Right. And the water, they're like, what? Hot water? This is amazing. Yes, this is the best. Yeah. Okay? So okay. when you compare a situation, like you need to know where they're coming from. For them, it was fine. And so I grew up with this mentality that I guess they're fine. They didn't complain. They went to work every day. They put me in school. Spanish was my first language. And I ended up interpreting everything. I bet. Everything. So by the time I was five and now knew English a little bit, right? And I was interpreting medical appointments, documents. I still am. I went last week to my mom's house and she's like, hey, before you leave, I have this papelito. Can you read this? Papelito. I was a five-year-old interpreter. I've been doing that my whole life. And they wouldn't speak English because if they had an accent back in the day, they would be discriminated against. So instead of speaking anything, they were just silent, head down, don't say anything. Yes, yes, ma'am. Did whatever the boss said. But you bridge those two worlds. So at age five, you're already chief interpreting officer of the household. You're getting through the papelita. You're doing your thing. Tell me about Martha when she's going through school. Tell me about high school specifically. What kind of high school student were you and what kind of crossroads did you hit? Yeah. So high school was an interesting one because first of all, junior high, awful, I think for everybody. Yeah. Amen, sister. Awful. But got to high school and I was a little bit confused, to be honest. I didn't really, I thought, oh, high school, everybody goes to school. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think there was a purpose for high school. Nobody had taught me that. I remember my dad was an orphan. Your mom got married as a teenager. Their education levels Mom was sixth grade. Dad was third grade. Very minimal. So for them, if I graduated from sixth grade, they were happy. Yeah, they were like, whoa, score. Yes. Yeah, I'm already better. I'm already better. Amen. I'm in high school and they don't know the educational system here. So they contribute. The only thing they know is they have to go to work and their kids taken care of somewhere. They don't know that high school has a purpose to bridge me to college. They don't know what an A is. They don't know that an F doesn't mean fantastico. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know the whole grading system. As a matter of fact, in Mexico, the whole high school situation, the secundaria, they only have three years. So four years here, like they didn't even know that. So basics, if anybody's listening to this from immigration, I'd love to talk to you because at minimal level, people need to know that these minimal little things so that yes. they yes. can progress in high school. So anyways, high school got their very confusing time of my life. Confusing. First of all, the standard teenager confusion, right? You don't fit in. Who is going to hang out with your baseline? So I went to a lot of series of hairdos. I think we might need to close some of the hairdos in the show notes for sure. <laughs> so I had that. But what... What was also happening for me was that throughout my whole childhood, starting at 10, I actually started to work. I had a paper route from the time I was 10. And that paper route actually started teaching me kind of the whole money situation. Oh, if you work, you get money. And then if I work harder, if I get more papers to deliver, I will get more money. I did that for four years, every single day, no extracurricular activities because my parents can't afford extracurricular activities. Our extracurricular activities are working. Yeah. Anything our parents have to do, right? 
So high school, I kept working. My mom actually got me a job at a company she worked at. They were looking for teenager type help, basically cheap labor. (laughs) So my mom got me a job at a warehouse and she was working in the back in a cold warehouse. And I started working in the back in a cold warehouse after school. This is my freshman year. And I did that for quite a few years. That started kind of my first experience in oh, wow, this is what people do, like punch cards. You go to break when people say you go to break. But what my mom didn't know was that I was actually going to suck at working at the warehouse. Like I was not very good at what she was doing. And the owner of the company, she liked my mother. And she's like, you know what? Why don't we move her into the office? She can help me file some paperwork. But she basically felt sorry for me. And (laughs) must have been the best thing that somebody could have ever done because for the first time a member of my mom's family was entering the office oh wow my mom was proud of that it's like what do you mean she's entering and i'm not cleaning the office i'm actually actually moving the papers i'm moving the papers wow heater in there it's not a cold warehouse that opened my eyes to a whole different world And my mentor's name was Beth, blonde hair, blue eyes, completely different than me. She wore pearls. Just she made she look like a queen. So she basically taught me everything she knew. And she guided me. She was my first like real work mentor, aside from my mother. And she says, hey, do you have a typing class in your school? And I said, yeah. Back then, the typewriters were the size of like washing. I remember. I remember. They made noise and they were ginormous dinosaurs. And she's like, take a class. So I was like, okay. So she's the first person that ever guided me to do something in school. And I took a class in typing. Okay. My next job then became, let's type the letters, the invoices. Okay, I'll do that. And anyways, little by little, I started to help Beth out and doing more. And I was there for six years. But before I get to that, I'm still in high school. Let's go back a little bit. And I have to work after school, after high school. So my attention was really in making money. That's what my family was here to do, to make money. Now, granted, $3.35 an hour is not a lot of money, but it's better than nothing. Remember, we come from nothing. Yeah. So that's what I was out to do, is make money. And because my focus was on this and working as many hours as I could and all of that, I didn't really pay attention to school. To be honest, except for that typing class and maybe a couple others that I really liked. So I was failing. I was failing high school and I made it all the way to like three years. And then I got to my senior year. That was like the first day of school. And they're like, my name wasn't on the list. Back then they used to post these papers on the wall that said, your homeroom is X. My name was not on there. So I went to the office and I'm like, where's my name? What's my homeroom? They're like, you're not even supposed to be in the school. I said, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, didn't you get the letter? My mom doesn't read English. What are you guys talking about? They're like, you've been kicked out. Uh And I remember the vice principal telling me that basically I didn't belong there and that I was going to be sent to a continuation school. So two, three days later, I was at a continuation school named Robertson High. And I went there and I got there and I was like, wow, there was kids there that lived in a warehouse. There were homeless kids with their families. There was teenage kids that were pregnant or already had kids. Wow. Three years old, at 16 years old. 
there was kids there that had parents with drug issues, drug problems. And that was the other time that I think I was a little bit enlightened to first it was the office, like that's a new world. And now I was enlightened to like, wow, there's all these kids with all these issues. And I was there too. What was my issue? Right. Well, my dad was dying from cancer at the time. You know, my mom was working double shifts, including the one that I was in. And we were poor and I was paying for bills. Wow. We all had different issues. We were just kids. We were just kids and we're all just trying to fit in. And we just were not understood. And nobody asked us why we were there until a counselor from that school actually sat me down and did a check-in and said, what are you doing here? And I told them that I got kicked out because I have Fs, whatever. You know, you have that teenager attitude. It's like, well, yeah. What are you really doing here? And I said, I failed and I don't belong at that other school. No, you do. Let's talk about this. And so why are you here? And that's when I started telling him, oh, well, I have to work after school. My dad has cancer. And he's like, no, we are going to make a plan. If you want to graduate in time and I had one year, here's what you have to do. And basically that was another time that somebody actually took the time and gave me advice and said, you're going to have to work double time. You're going to have to go to night school. You're going to have to maybe take extra classes, but you can actually graduate in time. You're just going to have to put in the work and here's how you're going to do it. So for the first time, somebody actually helped build a plan with me. Wow. And to me, that was like somebody taking the time was just what was needed. And somebody asking me why, like they actually cared. Wow. And so in four months, I had negotiated a deal with Beth and she's like, just coming on the weekends. And during those four months, I hustled and I went to every kind of school you can think of night school. I went to night school with like a bunch of 40 year olds when I was a teenager and I took on like extra credits. And in four months, by the time it was winter, I was back to Washington High School, which is my high school. And then that year I ended up graduating on time. Yeah, I did it. Go Martha, go Martha. <laughs> so that, you asked me about my experience in high school. It was yeah. very different, but it wasn't any different than some of the other kids that were there. And I think yeah. that's been a very interesting moment for me and speaking about the story because there are so many kids out there that are just misdirected, that have family that don't know the systems, that have to work, that yeah. people need to just sit down and understand why don't they go to colleges right away? Well, they don't know how to even do that. Know. They yeah. don't even know. Nobody ever has sat them down and built a plan. Yeah. That's kind of the story. And then I went to go work full time after I graduated from high school with, with Beth. And then I started going on sales calls. I remember building my first marketing flyer and I put out like a catalog pictures and I started typing on my typewriter and then I made photocopies back then in black and white and I put them on windshields of the, somebody else was doing some sale like across the street or something. I put them all on the car windshields of all of their companies. I mean, (laughs) I guess that's press marketing. And I had all of those people come to our sale at our warehouse. And that was kind of my first stint in marketing. And I was hooked. I liked it. I liked it. And then I did that for a couple of years and that company ended up, it was during the time that all everything was getting manufactured out of China and Mexico and every other country you can think of. Yeah. And I was going to go to Mexico, but my father had died. 
my father had died. And Beth asked me if I'd go with her and manage the plant in Mexico because I knew Spanish. And I said, I can't. And my mother wasn't asked because of other situations. But I said, I can't leave my mother. Mm-hmm. Not right now. My dad just died. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed. And somebody at that company, not everybody was as nice as Beth, asked me, what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were kind of bullying me into trying to go. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. But that's the first time I ever said, I'm going to be okay. Wow. I'm going to be okay. And sure enough, like a week or two later, I ended up with a job as like an office manager type role. And I ended up being a purchasing agent lead or something like that for office furniture for high tech companies. Because this was a new uh-huh. office. Uh-huh. So before entering tech, I was actually building cubicles for the people that go into tech. I was on the other side. So and I did that for a couple of years and a couple experiences here and there. And then there was a situation where I didn't get along with the boss. It just wasn't right at one of these companies. I'll tell you, I left to this other company, this other office furniture company for more money. Do you remember money, 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 money? Oh, yeah. I didn't think about culture. I didn't think about or who you know, your manager is. My managers, coworkers. I was 22. Like, I did the same damn thing once. It was so stupid. But worse. I left for like $5,000 more. It wasn't even that much. But for me, that was a big deal. Yeah. It was the worst thing I've ever done. Worst mm-hmm. thing, mistake I've ever done. I left a perfectly good company for this. Anyways, taught me a great lesson. I had to leave. And for the first time I was unemployed. Mm-hmm. And back in the days, there was these, I guess, your contracting agencies, the manpowers of the world. Yeah, like temp agencies. Yeah, temp agencies. And I went and I said, just get me a job. And a couple of days later, they called me on my landline. <laughs> and, those, and my landline, remember, I lived like not in a very nice place. So I couldn't really hear them. And they're like, we have this opportunity. We need somebody to help out in the office at a company. I heard sand blaster, like sand blaster. Like, I guess it's a machinery company. I guess this is what I'm going to do. Okay. I went there and nicest people. It turned out to be a sound company. (laughs) So I entered tech merely by accident. Wow. Because I just needed a job. Yeah. And once I was there... I met a mentor named Ken Fong and then another mentor. And basically I found mentors that sat me down and said, do you want to continue down this road or do you want to continue down the marketing road? I've been very blessed to find believers my whole life. So they were no exception. And then after about three or four years of that, I saw people get promoted. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, anyways, in my head, I made it out to be, oh, they're getting promoted because they have degrees degrees in college. And I had just been dabbling in it. I was taking whatever course here, course there, nothing really significant, but I'm like, I guess I got to get myself one of those. Wow. (laughs) And so I ended up going to the University of Phoenix. You know, it's a college for working adults. Mm -hmm. And I got a business of science degree in marketing and that was it. No issue now. Check. Amazing. I had a degree. Then I moved on to the mobile industry. And then from there, I ended up another company in Adobe. And that's been my journey. That really has been my journey. Your story is so interesting to me because I think it's one of those stories where just by the grace of God, you find the right mentor and that leads to the next gig. And then you find another mentor and da, da, da. And there's so many kids out there that for whatever reason, don't make those connections. And I'm wondering what you think about you 
made you so receptive to mentorship? Because some of us are just so headstrong or some of us don't even know what mentors look like. Like what made you so able to perceive these opportunities and go for them? Honestly, I think maybe my parents had always said yes to all the opportunities that had come their way, irrelevant of where they came from. Mm -hmm. So somebody asked my mother to sew clothes, for instance, yes. My dad, of course, I met, yes. So for me, you're going to work in sound or sand or whatever. Yes. 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 Yes, we're working in sound, sand. (laughs) So I think adaptation for me has been one of those things. And within all of these companies, I have found kind of people that, I feel our family, mm-hmm. like that were nice, that are just mm-hmm. kind, that yeah. asked me how my day was. And I like that. Who doesn't like that? Totally. And so I have always gravitated to these nice people mm-hmm. and there's a mutual respect there. And I think that maybe I was more receptive because I needed it. Yeah. I needed it. And I didn't know I needed it, but maybe they knew that I needed it. I'm not sure. Yeah. And this is where I think all those mentors that maybe saw something in me mm-hmm. that I did not even see in myself. Yeah. So I think, you know, now that I'm speaking to kids and younger people, mm-hmm. like I want to be the one or whoever's listening, be the one to tell them why they shine. When I think of my unpolished self back in the day or people that I've helped add some more polish to along the way, what do you think is the hardest thing to hear as a young person coming up who maybe doesn't have the social currency of rich parents or private education? What's the toughest thing that has to be said that's hard to hear? All that stuff that's taught to you in universities and, you know, in these special classes that we are not privileged to. So I have to tell you, I've been in the work environment Mm -hmm. and I've been given some harsh feedback, something that could have been very avoided or learned if I would have taken that class, but I don't have that. So one of my managers one time said, Martha, don't come to me with any problems. Come to me with a solution. Mm, That's a good one. (laughs) Dang it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was in college. I, they never told me that either. Well, <laughs> am I just complaining all the time? I guess I am. And I felt really bad. And then the other thing was, if you don't know it, say you don't know it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I would try to make up excuses or dance around it. The other advice, and I think this was maybe not from a mentor, but maybe from like, I think it was a radio host. He says, if you don't know the word, don't say it. Just speak as yourself. Oh, that's good. So things that are tough like that, like I remember one time I was presenting a quarterly business review and this isn't tech, so you have to kind of know your stuff. Oh, yeah. And I got a call back from the manager and she says, Martha, if you didn't know it, why'd you have to dance around it? Oof. Dang it again. So those kinds of things are very hard for me. So anyways, I've learned lessons. But just to push on that one a little bit, Martha that instinct to want to sort of dance around it or help people with that all the time. And I think, especially in your case, and this is the question I have for you, we all have imposter syndrome. We all have that thing. We're like, we don't belong. We don't belong. But you must have really struggled with it because you literally came from parents who quote unquote, weren't supposed to be here. You know what I mean? Like your biography, your background is almost like you had to work twice as hard to be taken into the folds of the tech community and to privilege and all those things. How have you worked through that? What do you tell yourself to get past that? 
Okay, this is where I think I differ from a lot of people because nobody ever told me no. Nobody ever told me no. Nobody ever told me I wasn't supposed to be there. Nobody told me I wasn't ever supposed to be in this country. Nobody ever told me anything like that. So by not knowing, I think it was not a roadblock for me. Amazing. It was not. And I went into that Sander Sound Company just yeah. as myself. I went into that warehouse just interviewing myself. Nobody has ever told me I couldn't do it. So I am this naive and I appreciate this about my history that if somebody would have told me, I might have used it as a crutch. Mm. I didn't have that. I didn't think to have that. So here I am in tech moving up and moving up, moving up, interviewing for position after position. And I'm getting him because I'm just in there going, hey, what's up? How was your weekend? And they're like, we like this person. <laughs> That's right. I was yeah. just interviewing as myself. Because one thing I've discovered now, and this is another advice I tell people, is that once you're in the interview chair, now it's just a matter of them liking you. They actually like what's on paper. Yeah. So let's see if we can actually connect. That's right. And if I get stuck in Duluth with this person <laughs> on a canceled flight moment, can I hang out with them? Right? Yes, can I hang out with them? Right. And so I hear this whole like imposter syndrome, these conversations. And I tell you, I see it sometimes. I guess I feel it, but maybe not as much because I've never let it bother me. Yeah. I've never let it bother me. And I think had my mom said, oh, you can't do this because we're Mexican and we were not supposed to be here, whatever. I think it would have stopped me. She never said anything. She says, yep, you're going to get that job getting paid $3.35 an hour. Just go in and do the job. Oh, okay. Sometimes like no time to even think about it. It reminds me of actually, and Martha, you have kids too. I remember when my kids were really little and one of the preschool teachers saying like, if your kid falls down, they're going to look at you to see how big their reaction should be about falling down. So if they fall down, just look at them and wait and see. Don't be like, oh my God, are you okay? That's Sometimes okay. I wonder, like if we're raising this next generation and we're projecting a lot of our fears as parents on them sometimes. And I was raised like you were, where nobody was like, oh God, I don't know if you can do that job or oh God. Or no, it was like, girl, go, just oh. go. Don't come home till you got it. Yeah, you know? that's right. Which I think is really interesting. So let me ask you this. When you talk to people, because I know sometimes you give tours to maybe underprivileged youth or people that are like, whoa, what is the tech business? I have no connection to it. What's the one piece of advice you always give consistently? That they can be there too. And I am proof of that. I mean, I have to tell you, that was one of the biggest eye-opening moments. So I've been given tours of companies my whole life, like at that warehouse. When people would come in and investors would come in, I'd be the one doing the tours. I was very proud of the company. At Adobe, I would go on my lunch breaks. And if there was a school coming in and they wanted to see Adobe, I was doing the tours. They might have thought I was a tour guide. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Like that was my profession, but it wasn't. And so one time I remember this kid coming in from Digitalness. So these kids come from families that pick strawberries, that pick lettuce, that pick artichokes. For them to come into a company like Adobe, it's like they're coming into a palace. They're living in houses that are one bedroom and two bedrooms, sharing it with 10 people. To come into these places that have a gym, a basketball court, what? Their eyes are like shiny. And so I remember one time this boy had tears in his eye as I was giving the tour. I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's not how my tours are supposed to go. Something's going on. And I asked him what was going on. He's like, 
I don't think I could ever be at a company like this. And I said, why not? He said, because my background, where I came from, I'm like, your background is exactly like my background. Because he had no idea who you he were. Had no idea. <sighs> and that moment right there was the first time I ever spoke about where I came from as an immigrant, where my family came from, that my family picked cotton. Everything was like, I'm throwing everything on the table and telling this kid Wow. That, yes, they can, because I've been doing it for decades. Wow. And that's what sparked you to get more verbal and outgoing yeah. about your own story. So six months later, Adobe comes out and says, if anybody has a story about diversity, I was like, do I have a story? Yes, I do. But telling that story was hard. I kept thinking about this kid and then I kept thinking about my kids and I kept thinking about me. I've always seen people on stages just mesmerized the crowd and I wanted to do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to hit submit on this little 300 word entry and I'm going to see what happens. See what happens. I don't know. I left it to the universe to figure that out. And then a few months later, I got the note that I was going to be on stage in front of 1200 people giving my talk. And then I'm like, oh, Martha, Martha? (laughs) I love it. And what kind of feedback did you get from people? (sighs) Well, first of all, after I got that notification, I was like, yay. Oh, crap. Now what do I do? Now what do I do? That's right. But you know what? I ended up seeking support and help and from people that actually have done it. Yes. And I was put in front of this amazing person, Jason Levine, and he's still my friend and mentor now. He he does talks in front of 20, 30,000 people from Adobe. And he couldn't have been a better mentor for me because basically he said, be yourself. (laughs) But he also, there's a lot that goes into telling a story. Yes, there is. There's technical stuff, looking people in the eyes and the timing and all of that good stuff that I had to, I've never been in this world and I had two months to figure it out. Plus I had to write a story and I had a very limited time. What do I leave? What do I put in? What do I take out of the story? Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. And then a a friend of mine gave me a TED Talk book. And then from the TED Talk book, I got Be Comfortable in Your Clothes. That's what I got. So I wore wore bell-bottom, stretchy jeans. And anyways, that's what I got from the TED Talk book. And basically, I started having people give me feedback. Mm. And I had to be okay with that feedback. Mm. A person told me, I kind of don't get how that flows with that. And I'm like, crap, I better think about that. Or there was a couple slides that were going to be shown on screen. Somebody was really good with visuals. They're like, you know what? I think if we make the picture with a black background, it might actually make your talk a little better. Okay, he was good at that. So Mm -hmm. I seek out other people's advice. And Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, the other day I was thinking about this. My talk was a concoction of 30, 40 people that have listened to me. And graciously and honestly gave me feedback. I think that is right on. And that takes guts, right? And it takes preparation. You can't get that kind of a quality output with that many good inputs if you procrastinate. I think a lot of people leave it to the last minute. They don't get the input. They crash and burn. They're like, see, I suck. And it's like, no, you had the guts to have a working draft that you could present somebody early enough to actually get help. I've never done this before. I never had done it before. So I was sending recordings to people and I was having people meet with me for 15 minutes. And I was doing two jobs, I think, at yes. this time, my, my Adobe job. 
I was doing my speaking job, my yeah. mama job, like all yes. of that. And another piece of advice that came from my kids that I incorporated into my talk was, mom, it doesn't sound like you. They thought I was being too much like a radio person. Yeah. Like I was being a little too serious or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, I got to add some humor. I got to add some artisms, like whatever. And I was like, okay. And then my older daughter has done theater. So she was already a little bit more experienced than me on stage. And she's Amazing. a musician. And then she's like, mom, are you trying to make people cry? And I said, no, actually, I'm not trying to make people cry. Then be proud of your story. You've overcome. <gasps> like, make it, this is a happy story, mom. And she was only 16 at the time. Amazing. And I was like, she's absolutely right. I need to be happy about this story. And that was another game changer for me. Incredible. Again, 30, 40 people contributed to my story. That is incredible. Oh my God, I love it so much, Martha. So now that you are at the stage of your career, I want to ask you the question I ask a lot of female leaders and rock stars that I have on this show, which is, first of all, did you experience sexism coming up in your career? And if so, and racism, let's put two isms on the table here. Did you experience those things? And if so, what did you do about it? How did you cope? Because every single woman in business, period, and forgetting even the racism part of it, but every single woman in business has experienced it. And we all have our strategies. We all have our techniques. I have mine. You have yours. What are yours? I mentioned a company that I made a mistake for and I left for money. And yeah. actually, that was the first time I experienced sexism. And he was the boss. He was the one who called all the shots. He told me what to do. And then one time he called me in his office. He told me my skirt was too short. Oh, God. Oh, God is right. But you don't really know how to react to that when you're 22 years old. No. And so the I, norms were so different when we were 22. Years. Oh. I mean, it was completely different then. And I'm like, this is a guy I should be respecting. Like, what do I say? And anyways, I didn't say anything. So that was one of the times that I was now looking back. I was like, oh, my God, I could have totally done so much with this. But yeah. you're young and you don't know what to do. Yeah. So I have experienced sexism. I want to say that most of my jobs, I didn't let it bother me. Like I'm Martha all the time. And I've been in marketing roles where a lot of the sales folks are men, especially yes. back in the 80s and 90s, or 2000s, whatever. And I'm totally yep. leaving myself. But I would go on business meetings with these men. And actually, because I didn't let it bother me, kind of like the same thing you were talking about jobs. It wasn't an issue for me. For me, it was not an issue. I mean, I was more worried about being an immigrant. <laughs> right? You're like, I got other fish to fry. <laughs> other issues to worry about and being uneducated. I was worried about so many other things, right? Yeah. So the sex thing, again, I didn't let it bother me. I just kept going. I delivered my sales numbers, my marketing results. So I sometimes think that you can't let it bother you until there's a blatant thing yeah. that happens. And then yes, then you do something about that. Yeah. It's so interesting. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day about how so many of the systems are just set up to make women, especially women of color, work harder, have higher marks. The bar is higher. If you're a guy, it's a hell of a lot easier to fall up, to fail up. And mediocrity is rewarded. If you're more often, at least, if you're a woman or a woman of color, you can't be anything less than perfect. 
period. And I was talking about how as frustrating as that may be, and as true as that may be, thinking about that and really like letting that be my everyday life. I'm not interested in in living in that space. I don't have time. I have to just keep going. And I think that's what you're saying too. Yeah. Just keep going. Don't let it bother you. You know, I actually learned a lot from men too. I've had really too. I, I sometimes don't think men get credit. There's some good guys out there by seeing them as an example, I'm like, wait, they can go in there and ask for money. No problem. Yes. It's going to be me. Okay. Yes. I'll go in there and ask for money. No problem. I have no problem asking for money. Amen, Martha. <laughs> no, Martha. No problem. Now there's strategies behind that. You yeah. know, wait, I'm like, okay, how are they doing it? Okay. They justify. Okay. No problem. Moving on. Move, they move on very fast. So anyways, I've learned a lot from men too. I agree. In fact, you know, it's so funny when the whole Me Too movement was happening and the whole Harvey Weinstein meltdown, I was getting so upset and depressed. And I decided, because I'm the eternal optimist, that every time I read a story about a man behaving badly, I would email a man in my past who helped me become who I am. Wow. So every time I would email a mentor and say, Hey, I remember my friend, Pat Morrissey, who's still a friend to this day. He taught me how to negotiate salary 20 plus years ago. Emailed Pat. I was like, Pat, thank you for that. Thank you for giving me the scripts. I emailed Randall McComas, who I used to report to at sign and said, Hey, Randall, thank you for always believing in me and never, ever, ever doubting me. And it became a practice. And I'm with you, Martha. I feel like there are way more good guys out there than there are bad guys. So I do the same thing. If I'm thinking of somebody, thank you, Ken. Thank you, John. Yes. Thank you, whoever. And make it a point to appreciate everybody. Not I only agree. everybody, like from every level, keep them in your back pocket. They are your network. Amen. Your network. Oh my God. Martha, gratitude is an incredible <laughs> network builder. Good call. I've never made that connection. Before. Gratitude is one of the best. And that's actually how I think I've landed most of my, I was grateful for opportunity. And I've told them that yeah. I had an issue in using my voice and saying, thank you. Thank yeah. you going out for, you know, Margarita and thanking them there. I've been doing this for 20, 30 years saying, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Merry Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is. Just acknowledge that they're still in your thoughts and that they are one of the reasons you are what they are. Because it raises the relationship out of transaction and like, I need this, you need that. And into, you know what? I don't need anything. I just want to say thank you. And then that becomes the basis upon which they call you for a job or they have somebody they want you to meet. I mean, I think that's a brilliant upward spiral. When you need nothing from them, I mean, just do it. That's why I think that I do a lot on LinkedIn and I don't need anything from LinkedIn. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. But I just want to help. I'm thankful that I've had amazing opportunities in tech, that I've had an amazing opportunity in this country. And I want other people by my stories, get that out of my stories and I don't get paid to do any of that stuff. I like it. Yeah. I like it. And I do mention people in there and I thank them and I'm grateful. But yeah, there's nothing, no hidden agenda. And people can feel that. People can feel that. One last question. And I didn't think I was going to end with this, but I just (laughs) curious personally. Sometimes we talk to our kids about the state of affairs in America and the young people, and rightly so, are so disenchanted with a lot of things about being American. There's a lot that's broken in the American system. 
and they get disenchanted. And my husband always says that is all true. And also no, 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 no. My husband's mom and dad came to this country speaking no English, having nothing, and they've built something. When people complain or criticize, rightly so, our imperfect union in this country, what do you say to them? What's your perspective on that, Martha? Well, this country for me has given me a better life. Okay, it's not perfect. Is anything perfect? No, it's not perfect. Now, granted, I mean, think about my situation in Mexico. No running water, no electricity. Okay, we have our issues here. I get it. But there's bigger issues in other places. And I think sometimes we just have to step back and say, hey, look, it could be worse. It's not perfect. But, you know, and then do something about it. I mean, if it really bothers you, do something about it. Speak up. Whatever you have to do. But I would just say just be grateful because it could be worse. A hell of a lot worse. A hell of a lot worse. And to your point, it's like we can complain about it or we can be grateful and do something about it. And to me, that's the power. I'm super grateful. I really am. And yes, there's a lot of stuff on the news and everything. A lot of people complaining, whatever. This seems to be a theme in your life, Martha, which is like, <laughs> shit could be hitting the fan. You're like, yep, can't be bothered by it. I got bigger fish to fry, you know? <laughs> I gotta overcome some shit. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta overcome. I gotta overcome. And I didn't realize that about myself again, because it takes beautiful people sometimes to go, even when I submitted that story at Adobe, they're like, do you know how much you've overcome? And I'm like, anything was a big deal, but it takes people to put it into perspective for you in a way that you would understand. I'm like, ah, I guess maybe I did overcome some stuff. Some stuff. And I'm good at overcoming, apparently. You overcame a lot. And what makes you so gloriously wonderful to talk to, Martha, is you overcame it with a smile <laughs> and with joy in that big, beautiful heart, which is no small thing. And I think we should end there. I can't thank you Love enough. It for joining me. And I will make sure everybody knows where to find you in the show notes. People get into that show notes situation. Subscribe bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And we'll see you soon. Hey, if you're still with me and you haven't already, hit subscribe so you can get my latest episodes delivered hot off the press. And feel free to share this with someone who could use a little inspiration. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am listening to or reading or digging right now. Also find me on my new YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash this is Bronwyn, B-R-O-N-W-Y-N where I drop new content every Thursday covering strategies for getting more confident during moments of conflict. And speaking of conflict, if you're dealing with a tough client or work situation and you need better skills for managing difficult conversations, check out my new online course called the No Enemy Client Conversation. And that is noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. That's noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. As always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF, where I offer a lot of behind the scenes insights into how I make all this content and run my business for those coaches and solopreneurs who need a little inspo. And lastly, if your company or organization needs a high voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually or in real life, I'm your gal. 
shoot me a note. Let's make some magic happen. That's Bronwyn at BronwynCommunications.com. Take care and shine on.